Two readings this morning, both are going to be taken from the book of Galatians. The first is Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And the second reading picks up in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Because you are his sons... God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Well, I just want to thank Matt for pressing through uh, leading in the singing when he had uh, a throat that was giving out. Um, thank you very much. That was wonderful. Well, we're preaching today on Jesus the Game Changer again. And on this occasion, we're talking about equality. Now, during the week, uh, my group, and I'm sure yours as well, looked at the issue of equality. And we suddenly realized that this is an enormous subject. <laughs> and we can go down so many different roads. So I ask for your uh, forbearance as I stick to just one path uh, today. The first thing to say is that, and look at, the statement that all people are equal. Now, if you went to a, a large gathering of people, say in a shopping centre, and you asked them at random, if they believe that everybody has equal value, the equal worth, I think you'd find that very few people would disagree with you. It's foundational to most Western democracies. Something we assume. And, um, and foundational for our democratic system of government. But very few people in Western nations consider the origin of this idea and why we believe that all people are equal. I guess I have to put in two caveats here, two statements to sort of qualify before we go further. And it's helpful to have these. The first is this. While we say that we believe all people are equal, the fact is, I'm sure you'll agree, that our society seldom treats all people equal in practice. Equality is an ideal that we aim for, but unfortunately we often fail to live out equality, both in a personal sense and also in community, and especially within the wider community. However, our failure to live out what we believe does not diminish or undermine uh, our underlying assumption that this is a good thing to believe in, a good thing to hold to, a good thing to try to reach for. And we ought to hold it. And the second caveat is this. While all people are equal, 
that does not mean that all ideas are equal. Everyone has equal value, but the values and ideals that people espouse are not equal. So a case in point, it's not hard to think of some horrific ideas that people have tried to implement over the centuries. Think of the various ethnic cleansing and the purging of communities. Think about the plans that Hitler had, or Pol Pot, or even more recently what we're seeing with the Rohingya peoples in Myanmar. In communities where we hold to people being equal, purging a society of a particular ethnic group due to their heritage, heritage seems to us to be appalling. And those who initiate these oppressive things, these strategies, you see, they are, despite what they do, they are of equal value to anyone else. But that does not mean that we give their ideas and behaviors equal value, does it? Otherwise, we go down a very dark, a dark road. Otherwise, we have bent the idea of equality into something that it never should be. So we, this is another idea. We have always believed that people are all equal. If we ask people why they think all people are equal, the response will usually be that this is what everyone thinks. And this is what everyone has always ever thought. But the truth is, you see, that neither of these things are the truth. The fact is that people have not always treated everyone as equal. At the time of Jesus in the Greco-Roman world, they did not believe that people were of equal value. The Greek philosopher Aristotle and also Plato, we hold them in high esteem, don't we, did not believe that people were equal. Aristotle believed that society had a structural inequality and that that's the way things should be. He believed and saw that there was a subclass, the slaves, who were there to serve the others, the aristocracy. And he even gives the slaves a term, anthropedon. It's a neutral term. It's neither male nor female. And what it actually says, in fact, is that this is a non-person. Aristotle saw that slaves were being born into that role. They were the property of owners, and he viewed them as living tools. And in his book, Politics, which also has very high esteem among academics and historians, he wrote, Indeed, the use made of slaves and of tame animals is not very different, for both with their bodies ministered to the needs of life. There's something missing there, isn't there? It's the, in brackets, our lives. They never take into thought their lives. It was into this world, a world of structural inequality, that Jesus taught and treated people with dignity. 
and with worth recognised with equality. And as we ponder upon this, we have to realise, don't we, as we think about some of the terrible things that are happening in the world, some of them very obvious and others not, that around the world today there are communities, quite a number of them, where structural inequality is the norm. You see, we live in very good circumstances, even if we have the momentary struggles. And I think sometimes we forget what a blessing that is. And we forget that in Australia we benefit from the assumption, if not the actual practice, we believe that all people are or should be equal. If a nation follows the logical conclusions, for example, of a Hindu teaching, the outcome will be structural inequality. It's intended to be that way. And this concept is underpinned by two key ideas. First, reincarnation, so popular among uh, many of uh, the New Age community and others, where every soul returns again and again. But this is not a good thing in the Hindu context. In the Hindu context, it's meant to keep you in, a, in an area and contain you. Secondly, your behavior in each life impacts your place in the next life, which is referred to your karma. So the upper caste Brahmins feel very justified in privilege because this reflects their past life. This is where they should be. And their assumption is this is where they should be uh, at the expense of others. We struggle with that, don't we? It's a culture where inequality is institutionalized via religious philosophy. And if you have been in a group and you've been studying the DVD series, you'll see one man say that he's over in India, uh, he, he was talking about a young man from a lower caste who became a doctor and what trouble that brought to the community because they said to this young man, you don't belong here. You don't have the right to do this, despite your education. So going back to Jesus and the early church, Jesus and the early church pre preach, uh, preach a, a gospel that includes the idea of equality. And Jesus displayed that again and again and again in his life, didn't he? Uh, it's an Old Testament concept from a Jewish faith that is foundational for all Christian belief. And in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, we read that God created humanity in the image of himself. There's something about us that reflects who God is and his intention for us. The scripture goes on to say that he created male and female and he created them. All of humanity has the stamp of God. 
And the whole of Scripture echoes this idea. You are worth something because you were created by God. The very fact that you were created makes you valuable. You reflect the image of God. And this means something very important, doesn't it? This means that whether you're brilliant, like the young doctor that I've just mentioned, or whether you're powerful, or wealthy, or poor, or disabled, or unable to contribute in any tangible way, you are valuable. You have worth. And the value and the worth that you have in God's sight is equal to anyone else. God does not have a caste system. And I thank God for that. <laughs> I have a friend who's a, a minister and a student who has multiple PhDs in theology and other areas. He is an Indonesian. He is a minority Indonesian, so he has a, a rounder face, and he's darker, and he belongs to a tribe, if you like, that is looked down on by the Indonesians in general. So he has risen from the very bottom to the very top. And yet, having studied in these wonderful colleges in America, he says, there are still people, there are still Christians who don't understand that we are equal. And he and his family have suffered as a result. The psalmist reinforces this idea of equality and importance and value in Psalm 139, 13 to 16. And he says this, For you created my innermost being. You, Lord, knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This is not pride at work. This is an acknowledgement of what the truth is. You made me. Therefore, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works, by the way, I'm a, your work, you are God's work. Your works are wonderful. And I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book because before one of them came to be. Not only are we valuable, each and every one of us, you are valuable, but God has a plan for your life, and that is because he loves you. So we are valuable, equally valuable, because God made us. It's helpful to remember that this became the foundation of mo uh, for modern democracies, such as the United States. Now, we all know that the intention is one thing and the application doesn't necessarily reach the same level of perfection. Uh, but let's, let's value the fact that there is this attempt to see what God wants. 
Now, in the Declaration of Independence in America, it states this, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men, meaning mankind, all men are created equal. And we argued in the group about whether that's actually self-evident. <laughs> but this was the faith that they held. At the very beginning of the uh, creation of the United States, they generally believed that there was a God, that God was in charge, that God was creator. And uh, despite what had happened to them under the rule of the British and others, that they understood that we are valuable people and we are valuable because God created us. Um, of course, once in that situation, they didn't necessarily carry that on into the valuing of other people. <laughs> Strangely enough, there's a, a scholar called Yuval Harari, and he's quoted in Os Guinness's book, Impossible People. And strangely enough, he, he says, the idea, this is, a, this is an atheist speaking, the idea of equality is inextricably intertwined with the idea of creation. Americans got the idea of equality from Christianity, which argues that every person has a directly created soul and that all people are equal before God. Isn't that a strange thing to be coming out of the mouth of an atheist? He disagrees with it, of course, but strangely enough, he states the truth. And the United Nations picks up on the same theme that, that we see in the Declaration of Independence, in their Declaration of Human Rights. And the preamble says this, recognition of the inherent dignity and of the equal and unalienable rights of all members of the human family is the foundation of freedom justice and peace in the world. Do we want freedom, justice, and peace in the world? Well, the United Nations says that that's linked to the dignity of people and our good treatment of each other. And once again, an idea that originates from the Christian faith. Now, Harari, this um, atheist, does not believe in creation, so he believes these ideas built into the Constitution ought to be changed. And he suggests that created equals should be changed to evolve differently. <laughs> and I have question marks over that en masse. Because if you and I are um, evolved differently, if it's not directly connected with creator God, I don't think we need to treat each other well. I don't think we need to have a valuing of individuals. But what I would say and what the Bible says and what these people have been saying is that there is a creator God and because of that we are valuable and therefore we are created equal. Now at a time... Jesus taught. Many people believed in structural inequality. It was the norm. And in the midst of that, Jesus was very 
countercultural. He taught equality. And from our perspective, sometimes I think we fail to realize how radical his thoughts were. He was speaking not only for God against the, the other gods that people claimed, not only on behalf of the poor against a world that idolized wealth and power, but he taught equality, which was a radical idea. In Matthew 18, 10 to 14, Jesus tells a parable of a lost sheep. I see a lost sheep up there. And you know the story well. The, ship, the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one lost. And the story demonstrates that every sheep <laughs> matters. And of course the illusion is that we are his sheep. We are the sheep of his pasture. John 10, 1 to 13, the passage is a mix of two different ways in which shepherds dealt with sheep under their care. The first is in verses 1 to 6. The scene here is a common pen, a holding pen for sheep in the village overnight. A number of different shepherds would come in from the hills, place their sheep in the common pen for safety until they were ready to take their flocks back out on the countryside. And when they were ready, they would go to the gate of the pen, in verse 3, and collect their sheep. Yes, you can, you can come. Not, no, not you. <laughs> take my sheep and... Um, Uh, and as they entered the gate, they entered the gate not over the fence, as, as thieves entered via other methods. They knew their sheep, they called them out, and the sheep followed the shepherd that they knew and trusted. Now the second way in verses 7 to 13 is where the shepherd is out in the countryside, his sheep for a number of days, away from the village, away from the common pen, and in this situation the shepherd built a small holding pen from branches and bushes. And there was no door, but the shepherd would lie down in the gap and he would function as the door. He would make sure that his sheep were with him. And he was the protector of the sheep overnight. So the thing to reinforce there is that Jesus says as an analogy, that there is a caring shepherd who cares for his sheep. And he exhibits that personally with the people that he deals with. Let's move on to Galatians 3.28. Paul writes to the churches in Galatia and reminds them that in Christ, that's a very important couple of words there, in Christ, all the old barriers and classes have been broken down and destroyed. We are now equal. And he draws on three structural inequalities in the Greek, oh, oh, <coughs> excuse me, the Greco-Roman world to make his point. He says, now in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. These people hated each other. There was a very sharp division. You remember the temple. There were walls to make sure that the two did not mix. There is neither slave nor free. Once again, in the Roman world, there were sharp divisions between the two. There is neither male nor female. For all of you are one 
in Christ Jesus. Christianity is foundational to the idea of equality. That's what we've been learning in this course, in this uh, series. And as scholars have looked over the, the development of the human history and the importance of the individual, they have found that the teachings of Jesus and the Christian church are actually foundational to the idea of equality. There's a guy by the name of Larry Sidontop, and he wrote a book called Inventing the Individual, looking at how over the years the individual has become more important, whereas in the past things were more societal and tribal. And after teaching at Keble College in Oxford for several decades, he released this book, which looks at Western democracies. And he writes this, and it really fits in what, we, what we've been learning. He says, Christianity changed the ground of human identity by emphasizing the moral equality of humans quite apart from any social roles they might occupy. Christianity changed the name of the game. Social rules became secondary. They followed and in a crucial sense had to be understood as subordinate to the God-given human identity. Something all humans share, equality. Everyone matters. In this church, everyone matters. As we go out and share our lives with different people in the community, everyone matters. Not everyone may have a saving faith knowing Jesus Christ personally, but everyone matters. However, in a Western world where wealth, power, social standing and prominence lifts up some above the pack, leaving many feeling insignificant and irrelevant, we all need to hear this message clearly and we need to communicate it clearly. Everyone matters. Not because of what you've achieved, not because of your academic levels or lack of them, or who you know, or the number of Facebook friends or Instagram friends that you have. Christianity does not teach that you matter because of how you perform, but because you matter because God created you and loves you. Let's look quickly at some verses. Romans 10, 12. <clears throat> I'm reading from the ESV. For there is no distinction between Jews and Greeks, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. There's a reference there, isn't it, to how Christ has loved us. To that extent, to that degree, in that manner, that is how we should welcome others. James 2, 1, 4. My brothers, show no, excuse me, <coughs> show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
the Lord of glory. And then to Colossians 1, 21 and 23. It reminds us of the importance of every creature being valued. Because Colossians 1 says this, Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, everyone. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. There are different ways this will happen. But Colossians 1 tells us that you and I have been alienated from God. And God, through his love, has brought us to himself. And since he values everyone, so should we, particularly within the church. God says that you and I are special. Recently, I was reading through 1 Peter, and uh, I found it inspiring. And I read of the many privileges that you and I have as believers. God seeks to tell believers throughout Scripture how truly special and privileged they are. And that means you and me. In Ephesians uh, 1.13, sorry, 1.3, we are told that we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Do you know that because of God's love, and him drawing you to him, you have, right at this moment, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Doesn't that make you feel good? (laughs) In Romans 8.17, we are described as co-heirs with Christ. It doesn't say that we are equal to Christ in every regard. It says that we are co-heirs with Christ. He is the Son of God, and we are, in a a sense, sons of God also. In the Beatitudes, we're told the kingdom of heaven is ours, and ours alone. Matthew 5, 3 to 11. After the Beatitudes, we are called salt and light of the earth. Sometimes we don't feel very salty and light, But the Bible tells us that we are. And so what do we do with that? We turn to God and say, I believe what you say about me. I believe you love me. I believe that if I've given my life to you, I am saved. It may not feel like it, but I know it to be a fact. And I believe you love me. I believe you value me. And I believe it's because you are my creator and you set out to rescue me, just like the shepherd set out to rescue the lost sheep. I read that as believers, we have the right continually to come to Christ, not just when we were saved, but continually in worship, in prayer, 
through the feeding of, on God's Word daily. All of us, equally, no one missing out. As believers, we have the privilege of being built into the house of God. And 1 Peter 2.5 says, we are all equally like stones being built into a grand building. We have a purpose. We are a priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. All of us, equally. We're able to give. That's a spiritual sacrifice. Prayer is a spiritual sacrifice. And all of us, everyone here, is able to do that equally. We also have the privilege of sharing in Christ's honor. 1 Peter 2, 6-8 says that we will never be put to shame. Certainly as believers and pilgrims in this world, we may have times when we feel down, when we feel oppressed. But the Bible tells us that we are safe with him and ultimately we will stand before him with not a bit of shame. Not only will we escape the ultimate shame, but when Christ comes, we will be honored. We will share his glory, all of us, equally as believers. I'll finish by saying this. God loves you and wants you to know you matter, you are important, you are loved, and that love he has for you is equal to anyone here, everyone here, anyone who seems to be a special saint. No, God loves all of his people. God continues to work in your life as that happens. Understand that this is part of his plan, to change the world one life at a time. You are blessed, and God wants that blessing to gush out to the world around you and I. So it seems quite appropriate to finish by saying, Jesus Christ really is the game changer. And may you know the liveliness of that, the life and the joy of it from here on, if not already. Amen? Amen.